Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's the moment we've all been waiting for, and it's a moment that actually occurred because of this radio show, which is strange and full circle. Should recreational marijuana be legalized in the state of Pennsylvania is our question And uh, we have two individuals who would like to answer that question. This is Pennsylvania Auditor General Eugene DePasquale, who joins us on WILK by phone. And the last time he joined us, he talked about this, and uh, Joe Peters wanted to debate him. So uh, uh, welcome, Mr. Auditor General, to our beautiful show. No, thanks for having me. I, I do think it was my interview and your show that that um, that brought us to this point. And also, we're all coming off the big momentum of the U.S. gold medal in curling this weekend. So hopefully, everyone's in a good mood over that. We're super wound up because of that. Uh, can I can I call you Eugene or Gene? Is that okay? <laughs> That's more than fine. Which one? Oh, you, Eugene. Power team. Eugene. He's, oh wow. Make it easy for the radio listeners. Call it Gene. All right. And we also have Joe Peters in the studio who got a hold of me after uh, Eugene was on our show, Gene, and said, I don't think this is a good idea. So Joe Peters is in the studio, and he will take the, this is not a good idea, where uh, Gene will talk about it as a good idea. Now, we will do opening statements on this, and um, I can't think of uh, a better way to do it. We could we could have done coin toss, which we didn't, but I'm going to use uh, alphabetical order. Uh, by the way, Joe Peters, welcome. I'm sorry we didn't say hello to you. I'm sitting right here. You're ignoring me, Sue, but I'm <laughs> All right. I'm accustomed good, to it. Good, good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Good morning, Eugene. How are you? <laughs> okay. Doing great. So we'll use uh, alphabetical order because I don't have a better way, and I thought it was fair. Uh, so, Gene... Uh, Tell us why, in an opening statement, you believe it is time to um, make marijuana, recreational marijuana, legal in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, and thanks for the service that you're having by having the two of us talk about this, what is an important public policy decision. And I certainly want to start off by thanking Joe for his years of public service, um, both to Pennsylvania and to the nation. So, Joe, thanks for thanks for being on as well. Look, I look, I've come out with the position it is time to regulate and tax marijuana. I think the it can do a couple things. Number one is it can help reduce our um, opioid addiction. I think that is something that occurred particularly for our veterans. Um, there's even former Navy SEALs now that have come back from combat and said that they would view marijuana as an exit drug. But it's also clear that in the states that that have gone down the regulation and taxation path, it brings in significant revenue into the state. Uh, Pennsylvania could look at conservatively about $300 million annually. That money could be used uh, to reduce untested rape kits, better fund our schools, um, alcohol and drug rehabilitation. There's also jobs that go that it would actually grow real businesses. You know, in Colorado and Oregon and other states that have gone down 
down this path, um, they have actually grown their economy as a result of this. Now, I also want to be clear that there are downsides to this, just like there are downsides to almost anything. That's why I believe it's appropriate to regulate and tax. I think if we do this right, we can actually reduce teen access, grow our economy, reduce our opiate addiction, and bring in critical revenue for our state so that we don't have to raise taxes on anyone else and make sure that our schools have our funding. And I think what's also key is that we can use some of that revenue for people that are addicted to other alcohol and, and um, gambling and other narcotics. And the final point is this issue has been uh, – let's be blunt about this. The fact is that the federal government level is considered a Schedule One narcotic. That needs to change, and we can have an appropriate debate about how, why Congress has failed at that duty, but the idea that marijuana is considered as addictive in the federal government as heroin is just insane. In fact, there are probably significantly more downsides to smoking, which is legal. I think we need to regulate and tax marijuana. It'll bring in revenue, help reduce opioid addiction, help us better fund our schools. Joe, uh, tell us about your position on this. Obviously, you don't agree. Uh, I don't, but let me sit. first thank you, Sue and WILK and your listeners, because this is, uh, as the Auditor General mentioned, uh, a very important debate to have. Uh, and I have great respect for uh, Eugene. I think he's doing a, a good job as Auditor General, and he and I debated this issue on television in Harrisburg at Widener Law School. And I will say, I, I will thank him for what he does for this Commonwealth, and I will also say that uh, he came at this as a gentleman, uh, sort of fervent in his beliefs, uh, but we had the kind of constructive dialogue that I think uh, people in public service uh, have an obligation to have for the citizenry. Um, and, and with that, you know, let me, let me preface uh, a brief opening by saying that I come at this after 30-plus years of looking at this problem and working with it. So whatever I say will be from the eyes of someone who's, uh, who's done it, so to speak. And, uh, and not just the fact of being a street cop on the law enforcement side and working undercover and being chief of the state's Bureau of Narcotics and the state's top drug prosecutor. Um, you know, and I also was a federal prosecutor where I saw the mafia using drugs, breaking their own rules because it was such an attractive economic driver for their business. And then, you know, finally, having spent two years in two very different White Houses, um, last two years under President Bill Clinton, first two years of President George W. Bush, uh, as a senior official in the Drug Czar's Office or the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Um, importantly, uh, for those that might say, oh, he's a cop, he wants to lock everybody up, most of my time was spent talking to legislators and treatment professionals and insurance companies and doctors and pharmacists. Uh, to come to the right answer and to get our government moving in the right direction collectively. Uh, and frankly, that's why I'm running for Congress. Uh, this is my number one issue, and I think that the nation needs to deal with this. So in conclusion, uh, I'll simply say, with all due respect to Eugene, wrong message, wrong time. And I say that because there are two considerations. One, we have a horrendous heroin opioid problem that's causing 13 deaths a day in the Commonwealth. And we can talk about why 
legalizing marijuana doesn't help the opioid problem. Uh, and number two, we're just starting. We're two weeks into medical marijuana in Pennsylvania. Before we take another jump and a leap forward into unknown waters, let's see what medical marijuana does in Pennsylvania before we go forward. You know, if you don't like big pharma and you don't like big tobacco, you are not going to like big weed. And we can talk about that. All right. Uh, let's get to uh, some of the questions from Facebook and texts. Uh, so, uh Gene, I'll, I'll give you the, this one first, and then you both can approach it from your sure. viewpoint. Will traffic accidents increase? How will driving under the influence be enforced? Because we know that marijuana stays in your system for a long time. And, and so what kind of threshold will have to be met for that? Yeah, two things. Number one is driving while intoxicated, whether it be marijuana or alcohol, um, is already illegal. Um, so you start off with that. Now, there's no question. This is one where we'd have to work with law enforcement to make sure that we had appropriate uh, testing procedures to make sure that, that someone that is, that's not allowed to be operating a vehicle that's getting pulled over, that it's an appropriate test and that their constitutional rights are maintained, while at the same time making sure our roads are safer. There's no question that needs to be done. And again, driving while high is clearly unacceptable. Um, and so we would need to make sure that we're cooperating with law enforcement to make sure that the appropriate testing is placed to crack down on the people that do that. Joe? Well, I think, you know, for, fortunately in this debate, we have some Petri dishes. We have some experiments that we can look to places like California and places like Colorado uh, most recently, and even over in Europe, places that have dealt with this problem uh, and have become sort of more uh, generous with allowing use and, and looking at data. And if you look at the data, you know, Colorado saw a 48% increase in weekend nighttime drivers being impaired with marijuana. And I think, I think the statistic that most answers the question that will it affect and will it cause impaired driving and fatalities is that in Colorado, uh, the number of fatalities from impaired marijuana driving, not alcohol, not anything else, have doubled. Okay. Any uh, rebuttal on that, Gene, before we take the next question? Well, just like there was too much drink, drinking and driving in the 70s, and we changed the culture on that, if that is something that develops, I believe that we can, over time, change the culture. I think we can actually do a better job than Colorado did, and that is stamping it out from the very beginning. So, look, any one instance of that is too many. There's no question about it. But people do, unfortunately, still drive impaired, regardless of what that impairment is, and they would need to face appropriate punishment on that. It's just like, uh, you know, we don't ban alcohol sales because of this. I think regulating and taxing marijuana is, on the whole, significantly a better path. But there's no question that driving while impaired is unacceptable, and we would need to crack down on it. Okay. Now I want to uh, give the next question to uh, Joe, but I want you both to answer it. This is also um, from uh, a text message. Would we consider legalizing marijuana if it didn't create a revenue stream for the state? Joe? I think the answer would be no. And I think even those that are tantalized by the notion that, well, it's going to bring in all of this money, I think are astute enough to kind of look underneath the numbers. First off, you know, data shows that wherever it's been legalized, whatever were the revenue predictions uh, on the front end go down to about half. Um, I think also, you know, look at, again, kind of 
a petri dish we could look to and look back upon. Look at the tobacco tax. Does does whatever amount of money we get from tobacco does it offset the health care costs and the societal costs that we endure? Uh, I don't think so. Look at alcohol. You know, alcohol causes more damage than all of the other illegal drugs put together in terms of societal costs. People don't realize that. And then finally, you know, alcohol, if we can use that as a model, brings in about $20 billion of revenue in terms of tax. Now, that sounds good, $20 billion new dollars. What doesn't sound good is the reality that it, it costs us $200 billion in impact, in health care, uh, in treatment, in addiction services, in, in bad parenting, in all of those demographics. So is it worth taking in $20 billion? And having to spend $200 billion? I don't think so. Okay, Gene, the question was, would we consider legalizing marijuana if it didn't create a revenue stream for the state? I believe it would be it would have a lot of merit, even if it weren't for the revenue stream. Um, when you look at the states that have regulated and taxed it, I think you see a significant reduction in opioid um, addiction. You know, just take our veterans; they're twice as likely to die from opioid overdose as the rest of the population. Sixty percent of veterans returning from deployments in the Middle East suffer chronic pain right now because it's a Schedule One narcotic. They're not even able to get. Um, uh, medical marijuana, even at the VAs. So to me, if we were regulating taxes in Pennsylvania, you would open up the door just for our veterans to get it that are experiencing pain. And two, states that have regulated and taxed it, they've seen a reduction of about 25%, close to 25% in overdose deaths attributed to opioid, again, because of the access to marijuana, which helps people reduce their pain. So to me, the answer to that would be yes. There's no question that when it comes to the revenue side of it, that is certainly um, an appealing side of it, um, but I think there would be merit to it without the revenue. All right, we're going to take a break here quick on WILK, and we're talking about an issue that popped up on our show a couple weeks ago. So we set up the debate of the individuals that wanted to debate the issue. This could be the first of many debates with individuals that want to debate issues because I am open to this kind of discussion. This is our Auditor General in the state of Pennsylvania, Jean De Pasquale, who is on the phone, and in the studio is uh, Joe Peters running for Congress. Uh, Jean wants to see recreational marijuana legalized and taxed in Pennsylvania. Joe Peters does not want to see that. I have a question, and, and you can kind of, um, we'll, we'll start with you on this one, Jean. You, you can kind of fit it for our needs. And this is uh, from somebody who listens to WILK. In states where it's legal, I heard schools get money for musical instruments and uh, uniforms from the cannabis industry. Is it true? In other words, Gene, we, we get suspicious. You know how we are. We don't want our money going into a big old black hole. And in Pennsylvania, that's been the case with something. So where would this money go? This would be up to the legislature. So you'd bring in about $350 million a year, and it would be up to the legislature to determine it. I believe, you know, I, I outlined a plan that I think would be the best plan, which is you, you basically put about $200 million of that into our schools in basic education for schools that have lost guidance counselors and lost band and lost art and music. You can put, put it, plug it into those schools so they can put that back. And you take the Scranton School District and the financial disaster, you know, people know from my audit there, you could put that back in so the kids don't lose opportunities, and you make sure that happens. Then you can take about $50 million of that and use it for alcohol and drug rehabilitation. 
You can also use another fifty million. Use it just for pro- put it into property cash relief. And then also you can use a portion of that to get rid of the untested the backlog of untested rape kits. That's what I believe would be the best path. Joe, I, I know you're against it, but uh, how would you answer this question, or how do you see this issue for the the revenue stream that could be created? Sure, uh, and you're, we're getting great questions. What? sort of tuned in listeners, uh, no pun intended. Uh, before I answer that, Sue, if, if I may, um, Eugene mentioned earlier about vets. Uh, believe me, having worked with vets uh, my whole life in two White Houses and around the world, literally, there's, th- there's a debt that we owe them that we will never repay. And if they need medical marijuana, if, if medical marijuana will help them, we need to fix that in the VA because the VAs are a federal facility and there's some issue of bringing marijuana in. Uh, we need to do whatever we can. Um, and again, we're not talking about marijuana as medicine in this discussion. We're talking about full-blown recreational use. And what I say about the money, and, and, and Eugene mentions um, sending it to schools, you know, we've, we've well-intended, though, we've heard these things before property tax relief. Uh, You know, gaming was going to sort of take away all of our property taxes. How did that work? Gaming. Uh, you know, every every gambling casino, when they advertise, has to have a disclaimer at the bottom if you have a gambling problem because we are creating a problem that we have to spend money on to fix. So I guess what I say to that is if we're going to send money to schools, what, what are we doing to those students in terms of using marijuana that we're going to have to fix on the back end? You know, in Colorado, youth drug use, marijuana use uh, in the schools is the number one in the nation for past month marijuana use. Um, Colorado's use is 55% higher than the national average. And that's in a state where you have to be 18. So the message is more availability, a message that it's okay, drives up youth use. So if we buy them uniforms and then we have to counsel them and treat them because they've started using, where are we? Oh, Gene, I, I hear you want to rebut this. I heard it. Yeah. Well, I think there's maybe, I think, three big things. Uh, number one is, I, I hope I'm not piercing the corporate veil and I say that kids already have access to this stuff to begin with. Number two, I believe the legal age should be similar to alcohol, which is I believe it should be 21. But number three, and I think that it's actually, I want to say this, this is a very important debate that I think is, below the surface of what Joe and I are talking about here. And I, maybe we, he and I have a different approach to this, but I think that this is actually the, the better, the, the real debate we're having. And the things that have a plus and a minus, what's the best way to deal with it? Do you make alcohol and cigarettes and gambling illegal, or do you recognize there's some there's some ups and downs to this stuff, so you regulate it and you try to minimize the damage while accentuating the positive. And so, to me, I've never said and never will say that, you know, rec- regulating and taxing marijuana is the, the – there's no downside. It's all upside. I think on the whole, from revenue, reducing opioid addiction, and just recognize reality, it's the right path to go. But I do think below the surface what we're really debating is the things that have a plus and a minus, where there's some popular support for doing it, but there's also some downside. What's the better way to deal with it? And me, it's regulating and taxing is a better way to go because I just think, you know, again, we look at what we did with prohibition. That clearly failed. I also think how we're handling marijuana today hasn't worked and we can do better. All right, Joe, do you want to rebut the rebut? Sure. <laughs> um, 
the notion that uh, marijuana smoking will affect uh, the opioid deaths uh, is is a fallacy. Uh, and there is a, a RAND study that is dated February the 8th, 2018, so this month, where uh, in, in their own report, they talk about what appeared to be the case that, you know, more smoking of marijuana would reduce opioid de- uh, deaths. Uh, in recent years, the data is going the other way. And in fact, a marijuana legalization blogger sort of took off on, you know, a little bit of that report and said, aha, uh-huh, Marijuana is good for the opioid problem. Even the RAND uh, authors and editors came back and said medical marijuana laws do not reduce opioid mortality. And they are going to print sort of a follow-on to clarify that misperception that was being created. It's our uh, pleasure to be having a discussion this morning about the possibility of legalizing recreational marijuana in the state of Pennsylvania. Our Auditor General, Gene DePasquale, believes that is uh, an idea as long as it's taxed and there's revenue. Joe Peters, who is a candidate for Congress, does not share that vision. Um, Joe, I think it's my, I start with you this time around, and this question is odd maybe for you. What is the plan if everything the detractors of legalizing marijuana uh, does happen what will happen then in other words if we have the worst case scenario what what do you think would happen in pennsylvania should we decide to walk down this path look at the damage that alcohol has done to our society legal drug um regulated has some cultural and health benefits but it still does more damage in terms of healthcare costs, bad parenting, workplace absences. Uh, maybe even the better example, and I'm sad to have to make it, is look at the heroin opioid problem. Gene, what if uh, the detractors are right? Then what would happen to this if it were legalized in Pennsylvania? Well, if you do it right, you avoid that scenario and actually accentuate the benefits. Uh, so, look, if the worst-case scenario of any new law happens, probably wouldn't go down that path. And I don't mean that to be flip. It's just, it's just a reality. That's why if you, if you do it right and you study what has happened in the other states that have, that have regulated and taxed it, and you find out what worked and what didn't, Pennsylvania can actually be a model for the country. And, make, uh, and that's what I think we should be doing. All right, Gene, I want to ask you this because somebody suggested this, and I just kind of rewrote the question a little bit. We have spent a long time looking at the damage of uh, smoking cigarettes and demonizing their effect. How will recreational marijuana be a sell for people who are looking at the health effects of smoking in a detrimental manner? Well, uh, two things. Number one is uh, cigarette smoking is significantly more dangerous than marijuana. It's actually not even close, just from an addictive standpoint and from a health standpoint. And again, I'm not suggesting that um, it's the equivalent of eating a vegan salad smoking marijuana, but cigarette smoking is significantly more dangerous. And I think what you saw from there, and this is something that, again, through an appropriate legalization process, you do see that you got to make sure that the advertising aren't able to target kids, what big tobacco is able to do. That is something to guard against. So how you allow this to be 
advertised is critical. How you make sure you keep the access away from kids. You know, now when I go into a grocery store, you go into a, a state store and you buy a bottle of wine, you know, you, you have to show your ID. You have someone who's, who is a legal salesperson who their business license hinges on making sure you sell it to someone who's legally allowed to purchase it. All of those same safeguards need to be put in place for this as well. And if it does, I think the benefits of additional revenue, reducing our opioid addiction, um, and also I believe if done right, you can reduce teen access. I think all of those positives can be can really be taken advantage of if we do if we do this the right way. All right, uh, Joe. Same question. Uh, smoking has been demonized for a long time. The effect on your lungs, etc. How how would uh, recreational marijuana be any different? Uh, m- marijuana has uh, three hundred plus. Uh, toxic chemical components in it. It's got uh, almost 100 cannabinoids in it. Only one of those cannabinoids is psychotropic, and that's THC or tetrahydrocannabinol. Uh, I think the important thing to remember is uh, a bottle of wine is not today's marijuana. Uh, And the potency of marijuana, and and I saw it rising as a street cop, as a state prosecutor uh, in the drug czar's office when I would talk to people who were in addiction treatment services around the country. You know what they'd say consistently, Sue? They would say, please don't let kids start on marijuana. Um, And you could use the term gateway or not. Uh, The potency of this drug, you know, we have 60,000 opiate users. The vast majority of them started on marijuana or alcohol. This is not your father's weed, you know, that was 4% THC. This is 10, 20% on an average, up to 30%. This, and the data shows in Europe and, and hundreds of studies in the U.S., that potency grabs the receptors in your brain uh, and, and almost quickly hijacks them. So remember how we used to talk about methamphetamine sort of changing your brain chemistry? The potency of marijuana we're dealing with today does that. So we don't know what we don't know about that marijuana cigarette and its effects longitudinally. Okay, uh, Gina, this does kind of dovetail on that, and I'm going to flip it to you first. Uh, this is from a woman named Bonnie. Where would the marijuana come from, government or private? And uh, to kind of dovetail on what Joe said, what about the strength or the potency of this particular marijuana? That's actually two questions, but can you look at yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, and I think actually, it, it, I know they're technically two, but I think it's all part of the same question. Number one is I do believe it should be private, but regulated by the government. But, uh, you know, I think Joe, in a way, helped make my argument. There is dangerous stuff on the street right now that needs to be taken out, and I think we don't even, when people smoke marijuana today, they don't even know what's in it because they're buying it from, you know, bad street dealers. I think if you clean it up, get it into a, a legal business that's appropriately regulated, you can take that dangerous stuff out of it, and people will know what they're purchasing, but I do think it should also be private as well. That's how I believe it's a better path to go. I think that right now people buying it on the street, and I hope we could all concede now, people are using marijuana today. I, I mean, so whether you like it or don't like it, that's happening today. And kids are getting access to it, adults are getting access to it, and they're buying stuff that is actually significantly more dangerous than anything that would be purchased legally if we do the regulation and taxation the right way. Okay, Joe, you want to take a... Yeah, in the words of a great man, you Gene D. Pasquale, I think you're making my argument for me in the sense that uh, it's it's where we are with the the heroin fentanyl problem. It starts with a legal drug. 
Uh, and what happens is a black market emerges that undercuts the legal price. We've seen in places that have legalized it. Once they have medical marijuana and then they legalize recreational, the bottom falls out of mer medical marijuana because let's just go get it on the street. We don't need this prescription. We don't need a doctor. We don't need a pharmacist. And, and it's the same thing that has happened with the heroin problem. Legitimate pharmaceuticals become the delivery mechanism. People get addicted. Their pills run out. They buy them on the street. They're delivered to that $10 bag of heroin. The same thing will happen here. And there will be a black market because whether you're MS-13 or a local entrepreneur, if the government is selling it at X, you're going to sell it at X minus $4. All right. So we have to take a little bit of a break here on WILK. Earth, Wind & Fire is a great band. Right? Gene, you agree Earth, Wind & Fire is a great band, right? I'd like to think that all of America could agree on that. Thank goodness. Joe, you agree? I have to disagree because we're debating. I'm kidding. Oh, so we can't. Way, Joe, Joe and I are probably getting in trouble with our political bases because we're actually having a respectable debate. I know. I, I said that I, I during the break. I was thinking exactly yeah. that, and Sue said it it's as well. It's too tame, guys. No, I love it. Okay, here's one. Um, I'm going to start out with uh, Joe this time around. And um, this this is a good question, I think. Why isn't marijuana, at the very least, decriminalized in Pennsylvania? The person uh, writes, why are we continuing to ruin people's lives? Because oftentimes we hear, Joe, that, you know, a little bit of marijuana and suddenly someone's in jail. So uh, why, why couldn't it just be possibly decriminalized? Uh, good question. And we've come a long way. And I think we are addressing the point of that listener's question uh, in, a, in a couple of contexts. One, uh, we now have medical marijuana. So if someone has a legitimate medical need, they can now get it. And that's a good thing. Uh, we should we should do whatever we can. You know, I've always said that w whatever the government can do, the FDA, the marijuana industry to make medicine, uh, that's what we should be doing. It never was the case because there was always a medicine better. And we've had marijuana on the shelves of pharmacies for 30 years. It's called Marinol. You know what? Nobody uses it because there's always something better. To the point of ruining people's lives, I think Eugene and I would agree on this. If someone as a, uh, a wayward adolescent got themselves in trouble and smoked a marijuana cigarette and now have an arrest record, that shouldn't taint them for the rest of their lives. If they've been, you know, good citizens, contributors to society, stayed out of trouble for the last five years, ten years, whatever the number would be, we shouldn't stop them from being a teacher or, or, or operating heavy equipment or a government employee just because of that. All right, uh, Gene, can you spend about uh, less than a minute answering why isn't marijuana at the very least decriminalized in Pennsylvania? Why are we continuing to ruin people's lives? Yeah, two things. One, obviously, since I support uh, legalization, you know, I think it should be at a minimum decriminalized. Um, but Joe and I, I think are, are on the same page on this. Regardless of what differences we may have on the issue on legalization, people that made a mistake 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago that was that clearly was not a violent mistake, um, we've got to find a way to let them have their lives back so they can have you know full employment and, and pursue their dreams. Number two, and this is where and I'm making my pitch to Joe, who's running for Congress if he gets there, at a minimum, this has to be changed at the federal level so that we can get this medicinally to our vets. Because right now, even if a state has legalized it for medicinal marijuana, under current law, VAs can't even prescribe it. That needs to change.
Okay, we have a minute close for each. I'm going to have to stay on the clock on this one because we're running up against the end. So, uh, Joe, spend one minute with your closing statement of how you feel on this issue. I 100% agree with Gene that we need to make medical marijuana, if it benefits them, available to our vets, and we need to do whatever changing of laws that we need to. I worry about big weed. And just like big tobacco grew up that targeted our youth, you know, uh, 35% of the smokers consume 80% of the product. Big weed will target them. Big weed is already marketing things like chewable marijuana in gummy bears and in Pop-Tarts. Guess who that is directed toward? Um, Big weed will focus on the adolescent brain that's developing. The last thing that develops is the reasoning skill. And that's what affects our youth. Let me just close with this editorial from the second largest newspaper in Colorado. Five years later, we remain an embarrassing cautionary tale. Five years of retail pot coincide with five years of homeless growths, highest in the country. Drivers, students. Yeah, I have to cut you there because we need to get Gene's minute in. (laughs) So Gene, hit it. Uh, thank you to the ILK for having us on. Thank you for everyone for tuning in. And, Joe, thank you for a respectable debate, and good luck in your campaign. I support regulating and taxing marijuana because I think it will help reduce our opioid addiction. I think it will bring in critical state revenue. And if done right, it will reduce teen access. And I think we can also get some of the bad actors out of the system. I do think this is an important debate to have in this type of forum, and others across the state should continue as we move forward, as we try to find the best way, I think, to move Pennsylvania forward on this. I also think it's critical to find a way for vets that have served our public to find a way to let them legally have this when it benefits them medically. All right, uh, Gene, are you running for Congress or not? No, I actually announced at 10 o'clock, so I won't be joining Joe down there to start any trouble on this. Too bad. We could have worked bipartisanly. And, uh, Joe, what's your status? Uh, I am running for Congress. Uh, I just don't know exactly what the district (laughs) will look like. All right, uh, Gene, thanks. We've got to let you go. uh, Joe, thanks. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.